Good morning. We're working our way through Paul's letter to the Romans. In this letter, Paul lays out foundational Christian beliefs, basic truths, truths that we're to build on. And having laid the foundation at this point in the letter, he begins to build on the foundation. Fortunately, Paul doesn't just tell us what to do. He tells us how to do it. Um, what he says, pick it up in verse 12. There's a sheet in your worship folder with the text on it. Let's work our way through it. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In this, just these couple of verses, Paul tells us a couple of things, important things. He answers some basic questions. What, why, and how? What he says is he, he tells us what to do. Put to death the deeds of the body. Then stipulated, we'll look a little bit at another passage that will describe some of these. So that's the what. Put to death the deeds of the body. And then he gives us a why. Um, because if you live According to the flesh, you will die. Pretty strong reason. Put to death the deeds of the body, because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And then he gives us how. And this is what he says. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What's the how? Put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. If you're told you have cancer and the doctor says you need to kill it, what will your question be? How? And having been given details, you'll make sure you follow the treatment protocol very carefully. What we have here, we learn that we have a life-threatening spiritual condition. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. So here's the question. How do we treat this condition? There is only, there is one, and only one treatment option. There's just one. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Would you agree? There's a real critical question that we need to be able to answer what does it mean to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? Would you agree with me? It's the how. I mean, we know the what, we know the why, we've heard a how, and now what we need to understand this morning is what the how means so that we can apply it, so that we can do the things that will allow us to put to death the deeds of the body. Before we unpack what Paul says about living by the Spirit in this passage, it will help us to look at what he wrote in several others. Uh, turn over your message insert, and there's a verse from the letter to the Galatians on the back. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What he says, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This doesn't tell us much. We'll answer some questions. But what we do learn here, the only antidote for the influence of flesh is the influence of spirit. So these things, flesh and spirit, they compete with one another. So if we're under the influence of flesh, and there talks about some of the works of the flesh are listed in that we're not going to go through it, that's what happens if we're under the influence of flesh. And we'll see that that just doesn't mean body. It's, it's a spiritual operating system. So that's that. If we're under the influence of flesh, we produce the works of the flesh. And you look through the list. It's not a great list. Let's say you want to do less of the works of the flesh list. Take a look at that list. <coughs> Sexual immorality, hatred, idolatry, dissensions, enmity, strife, a whole list of things that cause us problems, that cause the world problems. Um, so let's say um, you want to do less of those and more of the fruit of the Spirit list. What he indicates then is we need to experience the influence of the Spirit. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, that's what it says. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we'll try to pick that. What's that? What does that mean? Uh, to live by the Spirit is to come out from under law. Flesh and Spirit are like two operating systems. How many here have a Mac? Macintosh computer. How many have a PC? Let me give you my severe condolences. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've used a Mac for a while. Anyway, uh, the two different operating systems, they process information differently. That's what flesh and spirit are. They're two spiritual operating systems. The flesh is the one that's the default operating system. You don't need to do anything. That comes hardwired, pre-programmed. It's the operating system that we operate by. And if we want to upgrade to a spirit operating system, we have to figure out that's what we have to do. And if we get the spirit upgrade, it overrides the flesh. So that's what we need to do. We need to figure out how to come under the influence of the flesh. To live by the flesh, what we're going to see here is to live under the influence of the old covenant. That sounds kind of strange, but I think it's what Paul says here. And, and to, so to live according to the flesh is to live under the influence of the old covenant and to produce the works of the flesh. That's what Paul is going to say. Two, live by the Spirit is to live under the influence of the new covenant. Live under the influence of the new covenant. That's what it means to live by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit are not under law. So under law is not the influence of the Spirit. Under the new covenant is what the influence of the Spirit is about. And again, we're going to put some pieces together and say, Mike, what does that mean? How do, we, how do we tinker with that? We'll talk about it. But we need, to, we need to understand what we need to do. If you want to do less of the list on the left, you have to figure out how to live by the Spirit. have to. It's the only treatment option. And it's involved in learning to live under the influence of the new covenant. That's what Paul is saying. 
Um, to live by the Spirit is to live under the influence of the new covenant and produce the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at one other verse before we go on in Romans. Uh, now with the ministry, look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9. Now the ministry of death carved in letters on the stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. I mean, how are we doing on the, the slides? We, ah, excellent. Thank you. It, we have a comparison of covenants. This is Mount Sinai in Arabia. It's where we think God issued the old covenant, came into the old covenant with with Moses and the way Paul describes it. And again, I'm not adding my words. This is the way he describes it in this passage. Excellent. He calls it a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation. So the old covenant is referred to as a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation, death and condemnation, when we live underneath the sense that that's how God relates to us, ends up producing the list on the left. By contrast, okay, we'll get there. So, the new covenant is called the ministry of spirit, and the ministry of righteousness. Death and condemnation versus spirit and righteousness. Again, that's a really big clue. It's what it talks about. It describes the new covenant as the ministry of the spirit. Do you understand what this is? This is filling in a blank for us. To live by the spirit then is to live by the covenant that the spirit will highlight. Those two things go together. In order to live by the Spirit, then, we need to live under the influence of the new covenant and come out from under the influence of the old covenant. That might seem strange, but that's what Paul is saying. And so we want to figure out how to deal with the spiritual disease, and this is how we do it. It talks about glory. It's really important to understand glory. It says there's competing glories here. The glory of the new covenant is like the sun. The glory of the old covenant is like the moon. Greater glory eclipses lesser glory. Glory is something that emanates from God. That's what glory, it's, you can compare it to light. So, remember what happened up on Mount Sinai? God was there in Moses was in his presence, and Moses came down, and his face was light, reflecting. That's what glory is kind of like. It emanates from God and shines onto individuals. That's what glory does. It comes from God, and it just doesn't go out into the atmosphere. I always have to make this noise. It doesn't just go like that. It, it's from God to people. God reflects his glory towards individuals. And we are changed by the glory that he 
radiates towards us. To stand in the glory of the old covenant is to be changed by that glory. Now, you might say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. Yes. It determines our beliefs and our behaviors. The covenant in whose glory we stand in determines our beliefs and behaviors. So to stand in the glory, to imagine that God is operating by an old covenant, is to be changed by that glory. It determines how you will believe and how you will behave. Conversely, to stand in the glory of the new covenant, that will determine how you believe and behave, but it will move things from the left-hand column to the right-hand column. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This doesn't happen all of a sudden. Tell you what, if I tell you you have cancer, and I tell you here's a treatment protocol, that if you continue to take this thing, it will gradually alleviate your cancer. You will take it, won't you? That's what he's talking about. It's not going to be a one-time cure. You can't just take it once. Living by the Spirit is not a pill you take at one time. It's understanding what he wants you to look at and making room for it. And so to live by the Spirit is to progressively try to understand how God looks at you because of the new covenant that Jesus brought into That's glory. Image determines our beliefs and behavior. Now I'm going to go to this thing that I keep on. The glory of the old covenant feels like this. It's, it feels somewhat indicting and accusing. Well, you remember the words it talked about, death and condemnation. That's what we end up thinking coming from God when we're under the old covenant, it feels like this. Calling attention to all the things we do wrong, and that condemnation is going to gradually produce the things in the list on the left. By contrast, the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness has a completely different picture. A completely different picture. Helios is a word, it's a Greek word, that describes God will be this word, to our unrighteousness says. That's what the new covenant says. Let me tell you what this word says. Helios means gracious, favorable, merciful. That's what it means. So under the new covenant, that is not happening. Under the new covenant, this is happening. What Paul's going to suggest for us, if you want to do Less of the list on the left and more on the list on the right. This is what you make room for in your brain. To the degree that we understand this, we make room for it, we think about it. What does it mean? We say, God's not condemning us. He's doing this. Then the fruit of the Spirit, you might say, hey, wait, whoa, time. Whoa, Mike, that doesn't make sense. Without condemnation, we don't change. You know, it changes us. Glory changes us. See, God figured this thing out. If we want the fruit of the Spirit, this is what we need to focus on. Some of us say, ah, that doesn't make sense. We didn't think, and again, I get it. I get it. But it is how it works. And that's what, 
That's what he is. The only antidote for the influence of the old covenant is the influence of the new covenant. I'd like to say, just pretend or try to make it so that you don't believe God condemns you. You know what the deal is with that? You're not that powerful. Mark talked about it last week. We can't save ourselves. You could try to think that you're not condemned, but you can't change. You know what a spiritual operating system is like a mental image that's trapped in your brain. And this mental image determines your beliefs and behaviors. We have a default mental image of God as this. You cannot get that out of your head. can't. You're not that powerful. It's too deeply rooted. And it is determining your beliefs and your behaviors. What do you do? Live by the Spirit. If you make room for God's new covenant, the new covenant, again, I always make this noise too. It's, it's like you can't, it's like pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. You ever think about that image, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps? Think about it. We've had a slight experience with mud. I want you to imagine you're standing on, oh, it looks a little bit better today. Let's, let's imagine, okay, you're standing out in this street a week ago, or two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, or however many. So you're standing out there. Anybody have to wash their car coming out to church? Maybe, maybe a few of you see it on your pant leg. Okay. Anyways, I want you to think you're standing in mud. Okay. I gotta get out of the mud. Got to get out of the mud. I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps. Think about it. Okay, you got bootstraps? Uh, that's not going to work, is it? <laughs> you can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps, can you? You'd like to get out of the mud. Uh, you can't pick yourself up by the bootstraps. The same thing with this. We might want to excavate ourselves from condemnation. We can't do it. Here's the deal. You know what you do? You embrace the new covenant. You try to understand it. We'll talk about it. That's what communion is about. It's about a new covenant. If you embrace the new, get this, get this now. Here's what happens. You embrace the new covenant. You know what it does? It sucks you out of the influence of the old. It's the only thing that can do that. There's one influence that can pull you and change your mental image of God, it's the influence of the new covenant, which is the influence of the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying. Paul talks about, and well, look what it says in verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, old covenant influence is a slavery of a spirit of slavery leading to fear. That's default. New covenant influence is the spirit of adoption as sons. It's important to remember, again, briefly, who he's talking to. Paul is writing to the churches in the Roman Empire. Jewish Christians had to leave Rome along with all Jews for about five years because of the fighting between Jews and Jewish Christians. So the emperor said, you're out of here. And then 
Jews ended up after five years because the emperor changed and moving back. And, and so now Jewish Christians are coming back into the church. Gentiles had been on their own. Jews had the sense, and it makes perfect sense why, that they were a little bit superior to um, others because God gave them the old covenant. It was He gave them the old covenant from Mount Sinai. So they believed that they were um, somewhat better off. And what Paul ends up saying, that he is kind of, well, warning them about going back into the beliefs they had growing up. Here's what he says. When he says he doesn't want them to fall back into fear, you know what he's describing? Their time under the old covenant when they believed that's how God was operating is in fear. They had moved over to understanding that they were children and God was their father. They had changed. And what Paul's warning them against, don't go back there. Don't go back there. He doesn't want them to fall back because um, the old covenant glory cannot put to death the deeds of the body. Only this can. Um, I says Isaiah in the it's the passage that is above where it says birth pains. This is what God promised to do. He's talking to Jews here in the book of Isaiah. I will set a sign among them and will send survivors from them to the nations. The sign it speaks about is the sign of the cross. There are some Jews, now not all were supposed to, some were going to understand the sign of the cross and listen to what God's going to do through them. So here's what it says. And I will send survivors from them to the nations, to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. They will declare my glory among the nations. We've talked about this, and we're not going to center on this too long. God made a new covenant, and he extended it to a portion of the Jews who lived in Israel at the time Jesus lived. And what he was to do with that, he was going to dispatch those Jews into our world the Gentile world, so that they could reflect new covenant glory among the Gentiles. And this is what Paul wants them to do. If they do this, and they did, we end up seeing it. We end up understanding it, and the early church did. But you know what happened over the years? We started, we forgot what covenant we're under. And we tend to think that God relates to us from Mount Sinai, that he gives us the Ten Commandments. And if we keep them, he blesses us. And if we don't keep them, he curses us. That tends to be the way we believe today. We've kind of fallen back. We've done the thing that Paul warned the Jewish Christians against. And and now he would... What he wants us to understand is, well, to get back here. And that's what he is encouraging the Jewish Christians at that time. Look what he says. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. I want you to think about these individuals. Think about the Jewish Christians who they were forced out of their homeland because God was sending them into the Gentile world to talk about glory and about how God felt about the Gentiles, and that's what they did. But in that Roman world, they weren't accepted by Jews because they were Christians. And they weren't accepted by Gentiles because they were Jews. You know what? The hard, they had a hard life. And they had a hard life because they were given a difficult mission to plant the seed of the new covenant in the Gentile world so that we would have the opportunity to be able to talk about it 2,000 years later. And they were successful in this. And um, But they had a very difficult life. What do you say to a person who doesn't have their best life now, like them? It really wasn't fun to be spiritual for them. They didn't, again, they didn't have their best life now. What do you, what do you say to someone who's laying down their life for another person? Look what Paul says in verse 19. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What is this saying? Paul talks about the groaning of creation. And the groaning is the groaning of childbirth. Think about the way a tree grows. A tree drops a seed. The seed goes into the ground. The outside of the tree decays. The outside of the seed decays, right? It decays, falls away, becomes corrupted. Because it goes into the ground, the roots go down and a tree comes up. So what Paul's describing, that that's the way that creation brings forth life. A seed dies so that a tree can live. And what Paul describes this as, he says creation groans as in the pains of childbirth. Do you know what Paul is saying to them, to these individuals who are experiencing a difficult life? He is calling attention, calling their attention to sympathy pains, sympathy pains, the sympathy pains of creation. He's saying that creation sees the things that you're doing in giving your life to birth spiritual life among Gentiles. And he describes the creation itself as groaning in the pains of childbirth. If you are in a difficult place, a discouraging place, the one thing that feels 
impactful is sympathy. Sympathy. And that's what Paul is describing. The sympathy pains of creation. He only he says not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the resurrection of our bodies. The first fruits of the Spirit um, are the, in, in Israel, there were two harvests. There was a first one, and you harvested, it was the first fruits, and then you plant in springtime, and then harvest in early summer, and then you put another seed in the ground, and then you get another harvest in the beginning toward the middle of fall. And so what Paul is describing, that the initial, the first fruits of the Spirit were inserted into these Jewish Christians, and they were put into the Gentile world so that they could plant seeds, and who would be the second fruits? Who would be the ones that would benefit from their having been given a gift and sent into the Gentile world? Who is it? It's us. It's us. So, and it says that create Christians then at the time, groaning as in the pains of childbirth. They are in labor and in pain. Do you know what's happening here? There is a symphony of sympathy. When you're in pain, do you know what God directs towards you? Two things, sovereignty and sympathy. Sovereignty, I'm accomplishing purposes, and he was accomplishing purposes. And sympathy, and that's why he calls attention to the groaning of creation and the groaning of Christians. Not only that, he was also talking about the groaning of the Spirit. Look what it says. In verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. You know what our problem is? We don't know what to pray for. That's what... Paul writes, we don't know what to pray for because we don't know the will of God. We can't pray precisely. That's how we're weak. You know what it describes, though? The Spirit prays for us. The Spirit prays for us. It seems kind of odd. And he prays for us according to the will of God. So what it describes, then, our spiritual state does not really depend solely on our prayers. The Spirit is praying for us, and he prays according to the will of God. And he prays with groans. So this is what we have. The groans of creation, and the groans of Christian, and the groans of the Spirit. This is a symphony of sympathy. Why? Okay, we're going to start to, we're going to land this. This has been, we're trying to pick our way through the passage. Let's land and apply. God I think would have us know that, well, let me ask you this. If the Spirit is praying for us and his prayers are in accordance with the will of God, is it reasonable to conclude that we are experiencing God's will?
The Spirit is praying for us. And he prays for us according to the will of God. Is God going to accomplish his purpose in our lives? Well, you're not praying about it. It doesn't matter. You experiencing God's will isn't contingent upon your prayers. It's contingent upon his. And he's praying. And he prays with groanings too deep for words. You can't hear it, but if you could, it would be, It assumes that, well, I don't have to point this out, right? Your life isn't what you'd like it to be. You don't have what you want to have completely. You don't do what you want to do. You don't feel what you want to feel. You don't think what you want to think. You feel weak. You don't even know how to pray. And you think that other people probably pray and they can get what they want, but you're not getting what you want. And you probably feel like you're a second-class spiritual citizen. Guess what? You're not in a bad spot. The Spirit is praying for us. And he prays for us according to the will of God. And um, that means that God is sovereign in your life and in my life, our lives. He's accomplishing his purposes. That's not the only thing. Not only is he sovereign, he's sympathetic. He's not a cold, distant, dispassionate, divine commander sending things in and out of our lives. There is a sense of sympathy, sovereignty and sympathy. If you're in a difficult place, I can't think of two more important gifts. Sovereignty. He is accomplishing his purpose. Even though you're experiencing what you're experiencing, sovereignty. But he's not cold-hearted. Sympathy. Sympathy. He is birthing something, and it's painful. I haven't been through childbirth. You women who have been through childbirth, painful. But knowing that it's going, a child is, and once the child is there, uh, that's what Paul described. Um, At some point, we will be able to see how God has used everything, and then we'll feel like a woman feels who brings a child into the world. I never knew that he was doing that. I never realized, and that's the image. A couple of things then, as we conclude. Um, the Spirit is effectively praying. We might imagine, with respect to the will of God, that I don't know God's will, but I want it. That would be reasonable, right? How many, I don't know God's will, Mike, but I want it. Apparently, you know what the deal is? We do know God's will, but we don't want it. If the Spirit is praying for us in accordance with God's will, guess what? We're experiencing God's will, but we imagine that, well, this can't be God's will. Why? Because I don't have what I want to have. I don't do what I want to do. I don't feel what I want to feel. I don't think what I want to think. We are experiencing God's will, but 
God's will is not that we have our best life now. He involves us in difficult things, things that might make us groan. Can I tell you something? Real Christians groan. Oh, oh. If you feel like you need to be happy all the time and grinning, nope. A hundred years from now, yeah. Right now, groaning is honest. I think that's what the passage is indicating. Um, real Christians groan. What do we do then when we, when the will of God is painful and discouraging? What do we do? Um, what he seems to be encouraging us to do? Something that you don't hear a lot with respect to God, but that is there. Tune into God's sympathy. Jesus came so that you could know that God understands how it feels to be confused and to suffer. God knows this full hand, first hand. Um, Jesus came, it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm going to close with this. Uh, There's two reactions to pain. Two reactions to pain. If you have pain in your life, either emotional or physical or social or spiritual, there's two reactions. Grumbling and groaning. Grumbling and groaning. Grumbling is... I did something wrong. My wife did something wrong. My world did something wrong. God did something wrong. Something's wrong. That's groaning. That's grumbling. Groaning is a different thing. Groaning is sad, but groaning is something that resonates with what the Spirit does and what creation does. It's what you do when you're in pain, but you understand that there is going to be something that's going to come out of it. What's the difference between grumbling and groaning? How can we progressively move from grumbling to groaning? Again, we're not going to eliminate grumbling, but again, it's not all at once, but little by little... Gradually, you want to go from grumbling to groaning? There's two gifts Paul gives us and God would give us. Sympathy. He is accomplishing his purpose in our lives. Sovereignty and sympathy. And he's doing this and he understands and sees the pain. When you understand that you're understood and that God's accomplishing his purposes, make room for that. What are you going to make room for this week? Two things. Two things as you walk out of here. Make room for sovereignty. He's accomplishing his purposes. And make room for sympathy. He sees the pain that you're going through and it will end one day. Make room for that and it gradually turns grumbling into groaning. Um, the reason why Jesus inaugurated communion is because we need to keep our minds on this the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. So when you go here, this is what this table represents, a new covenant. And the new covenant is that God is not this 
But God is this. This is how God, this is the picture God would have you begin to put into your mind. He's sovereign, but he's sympathetic. And as, and that's what we think about when we think of table. That he sent his son to sympathize and to carry out his sovereign purposes. So take the bread and the juice and come back to the seat and thank God for the new covenant and ask him, God, would you make me more mindful of the way you want me to think about you? Gradually. In Jesus' name. We pray for us. God, truth be told, um, we might understand how you want us to look at you, but we're kind of caught somewhere in between the way we've been taught to regard you and the way that we might understand that you would have us. We're in journey, on, and we're making progress. I'd ask that as we continue in, in this place as to continue to talk about what it means when you died on the cross. You indicated that this is the cup is the new covenant in your blood. It's hard to get our arms around it. It's hard to not to to be able to to change the way we think about you. It doesn't feel like it's powerful enough, but it, it is. And would you continue then as we make room and come back to this place to think about your promises and your commitments as we do so to see them more clearly? that we might live by the Spirit, and as we do so, it really will change our hearts. We're not going to be, be, be perfect, but we'll find ourselves doing more list two things, transformed, becoming, there's more love, joy, there will be more peace, patience, more kindness, more goodness, more gentleness, more faithfulness, more self-control, less of the things we don't want. All this comes as we make rooms in our mind for the way you think about us, your sympathy and your sovereignty over our lives. So I ask that you continue to help us to see you more clearly so we can be who you'd have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.